So I'd like to talk about living ageless and PTSD. Um, the other night I was at a lecture and this man was very knowledgeable and very focused. And what he was talking about is planting um, seeds when the moon is ascending and, you know, when you should harvest when it's descending I mean it was just different things that we were he was talking about and um because he grew up in that type of environment where he was connected to nature in that way and in some instance I don't know what actually happened but I at some point I noticed he did a pivot like he went from knowledge to just speaking from his heart so it was like I, I can't really explain it but I knew something happened and I noticed that his hands were trembling a lot um, but I found out later that his he had a trigger and his trigger was bamboo don't put bamboo anywhere near him and then the other part of it is because he served during Vietnam. So a lot of times we have triggers and we don't know what those triggers are. I was looking at um, the movie Awakening with Robin, Robin Williams, um, the late Robin Williams. And um, that movie, I'm very interested in it because... Um, it, it's so symbolic about so many different things. But he walked over to a patient because it, it's, of course, it's a mental hospital. And he said, good morning. And very nice. And she, in return, said, good morning. And she told him her name. And shortly thereafter, he took his ink pen out of his pocket. And that woman became a total different individual she started screaming and passing out and all and just about had to be put in uh, restraints. But I see how that actually works. Um, that people that have been so traumatized, how something so simple like the color blue, if you say blue, it could be a trigger for somebody. So what is so important is meeting people where they are. Now you have to be mindful to know how far it, are you willing to go to meet a person. Because boundaries are still very important. And sometimes, let's just be real, some people have no boundaries. I don't know what world they lived in, but they live in a parallel universe that allowed them to not have boundaries. And, and I guess in their mind, you know, it was a perfect or it was a very productive life. I really don't know because I have had to set boundaries from even a kid as young as 
the first time I had to set a boundary, I was like five years old, and my mom taught me that. Being on a bus and a man um, of another race started talking to me and gave me a jackknife. I didn't know what it was, but I saw my mother became so angry that he talked to me, but she also saw that it was something else. Because you don't look at a little girl and tell her she's pretty and then try to give her something. My mother picked up on that. And because I was the youngest and very independent, I sat on the bus in front of my mom. And she was on the next seat with my sister. But I always had this very independent spirit. And so um, my mother did not take kindly to that situation. And from that day forward, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out when to set boundaries. And some boundaries have to be more intent with some people because they just have none. And you are forced to pull back your energy from those situations. It's okay for them to not have boundaries, but that is not okay for you to do. When you know better, you do better. People really don't get why you cut them off. It's because they gave handed you the scissors. You had no other choice. And so a lot of times they can become a trigger in itself, in and of itself, a trigger. Knowing what that is, knowing what that looks like. I, I you know, for one time, one, one time in my life, it was a lizard. I used to be so afraid of a lizard, and it was only because my grandfather sang this little song, "Lizard, Lizard, Show Me a Blanket," and then he did. The lizard did, and I was about six years old, and it frightened me. And I remember my grandfather felt so bad because he didn't mean to frighten me. He was just really introducing me to nature because my grandparents were from the country. So that was kind of a, a, you know, a norm. But here I am, I'm a city kid. So that was frightening to me. And even though we did go to the country every Sunday, when he preached, he had his church, and we would go there, but we still were city children because we traveled between two worlds. That was only maybe three or four hours on Sunday, but the majority of our time was spent in the city. You know, so that's kind of what that is. But, you know, knowing that PTSD is real, and for a very long time I feel like um, scholars and all did not want to acknowledge that this was real, but it really is. And just like he told me the other night, the guy that was lecturing, he said he prayed every day that God forgive him for what he had to do during the uh, during the, the war. He said it's a struggle every day having to forgive himself 
And I guess, you know, it's because he can't forget. You know, when that amygdala of that brain changes because of trauma, it just sets off everything because the nervous system is a spine and a brain. And so those, those connections somehow get a glitch in it. And it really does reframe that brain. He's not able to forget. It's like a broken record just playing over and over. And that's what that is. And then sometimes, you know, people want to, you know, push you away because you change. Because somehow or another, you make it out of that 3D matrix and you change. And they just want you to remain stuck. Stuck is not good for everybody. It's just not. Being in captivity and being broken is not okay. But, you know, you can grow where you're potted or planted. You really can't. It's not impossible. It's really not. I was watching the other night on... um. Fantasy Island, I really liked that little show, which was the finale. But it was really interesting how this young lady, Ruby, was really a 75-year-old, but she was given a second chance on the Fantasy Island to be now a 20-year-old. And she's living out her a lot of her fantasies. One was, you know, being with the same sex. Even though she had married and had children in her previous life, part of her life, she was now able to be a single woman. All that was given back to her. All those things that was taken was restored. And I think, you know, that's exactly what happens. It works that way. And um, she, somehow this mermaid was coming up out of the water and was trying to bring Ruby with her. Because Ruby had become saddened and she threw her wedding band out into the ocean. And this mermaid picked it up. See, people can feed on your grief and your sadness. They really can. And, th and then a lot of times people can gravitate towards narcissists. And so what this mermaid was doing, she was clearing out Ruby's memory because what she mem one thing was, even though Ruby was 20 years old, 22 or 23, she still remembered that prior life with her husband's name and her children's name. But now all of a sudden, she was becoming empty, and she couldn't remember their names. But she was being fulfilled with this mermaid. She was having these um, sexual experiences that she 
felt that she missed. And because of that, this mermaid was clearing out her memory. And she couldn't remember anything in order for her to take her over. She had to clear out everything of her past so that now she could become, I guess, one with the mermaids. I'm not certain how that was, but it was just really interesting how the brain and how trauma is really real. PTSD is real. Depression is real. Anxiety is real. Panic attacks are real. And some of them can be because people, because of trauma, become, become sensitive to the electromagnetic field that we live in. And those positive and negative ions can become broken or maybe even amplified. And people can start hearing things and seeing things that's not really there because of the sensitivity to that electromagnetic field. So, in closing, I will, and I, I wrote in my fabulousbiscuitsandspilledtea.com, I wrote about, um, my last article was about detouring, and it was about, it was interesting about sometimes detours are not bad. Because sometimes you can find yourself in situations for very long periods of time. And a detour is good. I'm trying to remember that quote I wrote in there by Dr. the late Dr. King about the oppressor will not give you freedom voluntarily. But it has to be demanded from the oppressed. It, I, it's not the exact quote, but I just kind of paraphrased it, and you can Google it, I'm sure. But um, so that's why I'm saying detours are not always bad. Um, because especially if you've been standing in that one spot for two, three, four years, it's like, yeah, I need to reset, reposition. So let me take a detour. Um, and detours can be very frightening, and it can be very risky, and it can be a lot of things. But a lot of times the reward is so much greater. So in closing, if you get a chance, go to fabulousbiscuitsandspilledtea.com and read that article, the last one, about detour. So in closing, I would like to say my divine salutes your divine. Namaste.